Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today we continue in our series on the fruits of the Spirit, and our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is back with a message on the essentials of finding joy through seeking God. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. We continue today our spring message series called Cultivating Character. And the series focuses on Christian character, which is referred to as what? Y'all get loud. Come on. Fruit of the Spirit. Yes. Uh, Thank you for braving the elements. I might have to preach louder, but just to overcome the rain. But this series is about how the fruit of the Spirit, which is Christian character, develops in our lives. Take out your message guide. The outline is on the first two panels. Mark gave us an introduction and began with the first one, love. But it's all based on Galatians chapter 5, these two verses, 22 and through 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to underline those things that are very evident in your life. Mark them. If you're not honest, God's listening. You hear it, don't you? Mark the ones that are very evident in your life. And all of you need an outline, you know what I'm saying? Pick up an outline when you come in here. Now, circle those that are not very evident in your life. And if you have any circles, that means you don't get to miss any services in the next (laughs) eight weeks. Fruit is singular, not plural, even in the Greek. This is fruit, not fruits, plural, which means they develop together, not separately or individually. And so these Christ-like character traits are a composite description of a transforming life. Everybody got that? A composite description of a transforming life, which means what? Which ones ought to be evident? All of them ought to be evident. See, some of us say, well, now I'm good on loving. I'm very loving. But I'm a little bit mean, so I'm not very gentle. And No, no, that's not, that's not the issue here. It's true that some of these traits appear naturally, more naturally in our lives, but that's because they're part of our personalities. God's Spirit is working all of them into our lives as part of conforming us to look like Jesus Christ. When you were born again, the Spirit 
came in and the spirit started rearranging some things. Everybody, anybody acknowledge that? Robert, you awake back there? You acknowledging this? Okay. And so in other words, all of these character traits ought to be appearing. Now, some may, be, may come easier than others. That's true. But they all ought to be evident. Maybe it's just a little sprig, the bud in some of these areas. But they all ought to be starting because it's the Spirit's work to make you look like Jesus. Romans 8, 29. The character trait we'll consider today is joy. And I've used as the theme verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. So if you're memorizing the theme verse, you can, all of you can memorize this one. Always be joyful. Is that possible? How many of you are already digging in? Well, that's not possible. Is it really possible? So in other words, how is it possible? How can I experience joy? First, we have to acknowledge and understand that joy and happiness are not the same. Do you know that, Jane? They're not the same. Happiness is based on external circumstances and situations. In fact, the the origin of the word, our word happiness, is a Middle English word, hap. And it literally means a happening occurrence, even an accident. That's how you have happenstance is actually closer to our word happiness, but the origin's the same. It's external to you. So happiness is based on feelings. Does anybody have feelings that are always constant? Never change. Our feelings change according to our circumstances. And because of our circumstances change, our happiness is always temper, uh, temporary, maybe temperamental too. It's always temporary and it's superficial. Now, I'm not saying that happiness isn't enjoyable. It is. God built us with the capacity for happiness, for laughter. And happiness does distract us sometimes from difficulties. But because of that, some people pursue happiness relentlessly. And they become disappointed when it quickly dissipates. Have you noticed that? The the things that used to really make you happy, you were excited about, is mundane. You know, Leanne and I were on a trip last week, and, you know, we... There were places that the first time we saw them, we thought, this place is great, and this restaurant's great, and this town is great. And this time we go, "Eh." Because those external things, you get accustomed to them, they become ordinary. But joy is very different. Joy is a deep internal contentment that is not dominated by circumstances. Rather, joy is controlled by truths that we believe. Truths that we believe about God. Truths that we believe about ourselves. Truths that we believe about this world, the way this world works. Some of you think the world's inherently unfair. Others of you think, well, the world's not unfair. Some people are good, some people are bad. 
And that controls your responses, what you believe. Even in very difficult times. So it's, about, it's usually about your identity or about your state of being. And it controls how you respond to situations in your life. Now, joy can be cultivated or developed, but not by acting more positively or denying negative thoughts. Some of us in this room are masters of denial. Is that fair? We deny negative thoughts, we deny negative feelings, we deny fears. That doesn't produce joy. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? You have people you know are mad and you say, why are you so mad? Oh, I'm not mad. I mean, I even know people, you know, there's a, there's a teaching of theology that's, that supposedly is called faith. It's not faith, it's foolishness that, that it, when you're sick, you don't acknowledge you're sick. I mean, I had somebody telling me, well, I'm not sick, sneezing all over my office. That's not faith. That's foolishness. God never calls us to deny what's obvious and what's true. So you're not more joyful because you deny every negative thing. You're just deeply in denial. The fruit of the Spirit is cultivated not by denial, not even by trying harder. The fruit of the Spirit is developed by surrendering to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So here's my question. Do you experience joy in your life? Do you? Open-ended question. You say, well, I don't know. Now you've confused me with all this happiness, joy. I, can't, I don't really know the difference. That's the problem. In our culture, we, we are so accustomed to the culture catering to our happiness. You know, I was reflecting on I'm 60 years old, more than half a century. Goodness, I'm still pretty well preserved. But, but some of you are older than me. And we remember a time when everything you could imagine for your satisfaction wasn't available. Today, somebody has figured out what you might want, told you it's a need, marketed it to you. So we spend our lives accumulating happiness and never know joy. You say, well, I'm still not sure. Well, let me ask you this. How do you feel when you're passed over for promotion? Here comes one. Hold on to your seat. How do you feel when your team loses? Now, y'all think I'm just being foolish up here, don't you? I'm going to tell you this. I couldn't be more serious. If your team loses and it depresses you for days, you're lacking in joy. You're trying to obtain from some team... They're all half your age. You've never been on that field. Some of you never even went to the school. And yet you're all in depression for days. You know what? You're looking for something to buoy your spirit 
because you have a deficit in joy. There's not anything wrong with liking a team, supporting a team. But if that team's production on the field controls you emotionally, I mean, you got people want to fight. You have people breaking things. You have people in depression. I mean, Jesse, you played, and you're thinking, he cares more about the game than I do, and I played. Isn't that true? There's something missing. There's something missing. If disappointments, which I'm, I'm acknowledging are painful, but if disappointments lead you into despair, do you truly possess joy? See, if we're seeking what this world offers to lift our spirits, if I got to get my hands around something to feel good about life, it's almost certain you're lacking in spirit-cultivated joy. If I need a spouse or a better spouse or a house or a bigger house or a car or a newer car or something, a better trip, another trip, some more excitement, then I'm just, I'm living on a superficial plane. And you know what? After a while, what stimulated you at one sometime will stop stimulating you at all. You know, this is where addictions come from. Because we're looking for this world to lift our spirits. Because we find no joy in God's spirit. And so we're grabbing all this stuff, whatever substance, whatever possession, whatever position, whatever power, something to lift our spirits. Because we haven't been able to find that in Jesus Christ. We experience joy first by remembering the source. See, we don't experience greater joy by exerting more effort to be joyful. Joy is a byproduct. Joy results from being focused on something besides ourselves. It's being outwardly focused on something, on someone significant. You know, I observed joy recently. Some of y'all have, have been to my house. Some of you have driven by my house, but my front door is glass. And so, yeah, don't come up there. I might be in my drawers. But anyway, um, but the middle door is, you know, opaque. But the side panels are clear. And so I was looking out the side panel the other day, about two weeks ago. And I observe joy. My dear wife was playing with our 15-month-old grandson, Brooks, on the front stoop. Y'all know what a stoop is? And they had a bucket. And they were putting rocks in the bucket and taking them out. They were putting them in the bucket and they were taking them out. They were putting them in the bucket. They were taking them out. Does everybody understand Leanne didn't do that for her enjoyment? <laughs> she, don't, she doesn't stack blocks repeatedly for her enjoyment. She doesn't reread the same books repeatedly for her enjoyment. 
isn't stimulating for adults. Rather, I observe my wife on the stoop with my grandson putting rocks in and out of a bucket for must have been half an hour at least because it was Leanne pursuing him, being consumed with loving him, being engaged in him, talking to him, connecting with him. I observed joy that had almost nothing to do with her enjoying what she was doing. You parents understand that very well. Changing diapers is delightful because, and I mean that seriously. You you understand that, you parents, because you're loving this child and you're making him or her more comfortable and you're seeing to a need. It's totally selfless. It's a real moment of joy and a great time to say, boy, I really love you. You're going to be a great man. You're going to serve God. They can't even understand, but they hear it. Let that be the words your child hears the most often. We can't obtain spiritual joy by pursuing it for its own sake. Just because it's something we want to experience. I mean, no, everyone in this room wants joy. That's a safe assumption, isn't it? Few of us experience it. Many of us don't even understand the source of it. Joy is produced by the Holy Spirit. It's obtained by pursuing God. That's your part. See, Whenever I'm focused on trying to obtain contentment, whenever I want to be respected, uh, you know, as appropriately as I should be, whenever I'm looking for satisfaction, whenever I want some joy for myself by acquiring something, by, by acquiring possessions, by seeking pleasure, I'm going to always be disappointed. I might be distracted a little while, but I'm going to be ultimately disappointed because physical things cannot fill spiritual needs. Do I need to say that one again? Physical things cannot fill spiritual needs. But the hunger in your soul is spiritual. A new job, a different spouse, a bigger house, more pay, more prestige will never satisfy. Can I get an amen on that? I'm going to get rid of some of y'all and I'm going to recruit some people that are vocal in here. (laughs) When I'm focused on God, oblivious to myself, I experience inner contentment. I experience a profound sense of unconditional love. I experience total acceptance, which we characterize as joy. Mike, you ever experienced joy? 
but you're in that wheelchair all the time. But you know God, don't you? Because joy results from focusing on God, not myself. Haven't you noticed whenever you turn it to yourself, you're all dissatisfied. Oh no, I put on a little weight. Oh no, I lost more hair. Oh no, some, somebody else got some, some credit that I deserve. Somebody else got some more attention. Somebody was, didn't say something nice to me. Misery. Focus on God, joy. But because joy develops from focusing on God, it can't be destroyed by hardship or suffering. Look what Paul wrote. Philippians 4, 4. Always be joyful. Where? But didn't he mean everywhere else too? Didn't he mean it worked too? When everybody treats you just perfectly like you deserve. Always be joyful in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Anybody know where Paul was when he wrote that? He was in prison in Rome. He was likely shackled to one, maybe even two soldiers in a prison with the threat of death hanging over his head. Always be joyful. How could that be? How could that be? How could you write words like that from prison? How could he even speak of having joy under such, such terrible circumstances? His life wasn't based on his circumstances. His life was focused on his Lord. And Paul's declaring that joy is in the Lord, not in personal circumstances, so he could enjoy a full measure of joy even in prison. So why are some of you so miserable at work? You look in the wrong place. You think anybody's ever going to mistreat you at work? What do you think, Forrest? That's never happened to you, has it? Every week, right? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> so you can't focus on that. You focus on Christ because you live in the kingdom of God. Well, I'm in denial if I don't focus on... No, 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 no. Because the eternal is more real than the temporary. Paul's letter to the Romans also gives us additional insight at chapter 15. I pray that, the, that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Fill you completely with joy and peace because he'll give you everything that you ever wanted. Isn't that what it says? I think this must be a misprint. So joy and peace come from trusting what? Does anybody see circumstances up there? Does anybody see my spouse would treat me better? My boss would, would suddenly pay me what I deserve? Does anybody, is that in that verse? Joy and peace because I trust in him. See, joy is based only 
on trust in our sovereign living God who loves us and will provide for us so we can be joyful even in the midst of difficulties. But you have to believe God enough to say, God gives me what I need all the time. See, joy is not the absence of pain and suffering. Joy is the presence of God. If I took a poll, everybody in this room could come up with some kind of complaint, I bet. Don't you think? But if I'm not looking at myself and I'm looking to God, I can't find any complaints. Are you trying to make yourself happy by seeking earthly pleasures, recognition, position, whatever? Or are you seeking God for joy? That's how martyrs died, singing hymns. Because the presence, living in the presence of God was more real than standing in the flame. Didn't say it didn't hurt. We experience joy by refusing to disobey. King David gives us a clear example of this, of how sin robbed him and us of joy. You know... In uh, 2 Samuel 11, I may, I may deal with David's life next year. Um, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then she, she got pregnant. And, and to avoid discovery of his sin, he arranged the death of her husband, Uriah. Tried to get him to sleep with her. You remember the story. Fascinating story. Diabolical story. 2 Samuel 11. And so David lived with this secret, although who knows how many people knew it, of course, until he was confronted about it by another prophet, Nathan. He uh, succeeded Samuel. And David was broken. And here's what he wrote at Psalm 51. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. David was broken, confronted. But see, it was only by brokenness that he could come to repentance and and, and restored relationship. The guilt of hidden sin robbed him of joy. And this was David, the shepherd boy with the harp, who sang and worshipped God and knew the nearness of God even when he was alone in the field. David had experienced the joy of God. Because of that, he recognized its absence. Have you ever experienced the joy of God? Immersed in it. So that it's true. 
David, though, is, he's, he's, he's ashamed. I mean, he asked God, don't look at what I've done. God, don't look at what I've done, but, but God, restore me. He asked for the stain to be expunged, for transformation then to occur. It continues at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would be given to equip, largely for tasks, but the Spirit would go. Spirit filled Saul and left at least twice. But the Scripture says that David received the Spirit at his anointing and the Spirit never left him. Well, then what's David talking about? When we tolerate sin in our lives and disobedience, we quench the Spirit to the point that we can hardly discern the Spirit's presence. The word is quenched in some translations, is stifled, is extinguished. The message says, I think, put out the Spirit's fire. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. And he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey. What a confident statement. See, David has committed these terrible sins. And yet he knows that in his flesh, there's still the desire to sin again. And so with God, he says, restore your joy, but help me to keep obeying. It's okay to pray till you pray. It's okay to say, God, I want to obey, but I fear I won't. Help me. But sometimes that help comes with breaking. Are you willing to be broken to come to greater intimacy? With God. David knew God. He knew God's nature. He knew God would forgive. He knew God would cleanse. He knew God would restore. So he sought it. If you're in here just, just underwater with guilt and shame, that's the devil. That's not God. We have a God who delights to show mercy, who will restore completely. Sometimes we forgive people and we never restore them. It's not God's way. And David understood the link between joy and obedience. See, the joy of salvation is being in an honest, open relationship of love and acceptance with God. Free from the fear of discovery, judgment, or rejection. John 15. When, we're, when we are harboring some sin, some disobedience, we withdraw from God. We may still come to church. We may say we're close to God, but we know we're not. Because you can't have it both ways. We can't indulge in disobedience or hide some hidden sin and be close to God. Well, give us an example. Well, it's like this. You know how when you've been gossiping terribly about this friend and he walks in the room? You've been deceiving or you've been betraying and suddenly this woman shows up. You know that discomfort you feel? 
Don't y'all like self-righteous with me? That anxiety, that burning inside. You're not coming close to that person. And neither are you coming close to God if you're harboring disobedience. You got to keep him like this. Psalm 32, 11. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all who obey him. Shout for joy, all those whose hearts are pure. Now, don't raise your hand, but I suspect there's been a few in this room that have had some guilty consciences at some time in your life. That true? You're miserable, aren't you? You can't enjoy anything slogging around with that shame, that guilt strapped around your neck. It's like a burden all the time. Get rid of it. Say, God, break me, but please cleanse me. Forgive me. I want a pure heart so I can come back back expectantly in your presence, knowing you'll embrace me. See, our disobedience deters our experience of God's love. It doesn't deter God's love if you've been born again, but it does deter your experience of God's love. But our repentance and our continued compliance allows us to dwell closely with God, confidently, to enjoy our salvation with hearts that are pure. You know what I'm talking about. You know when you had that guilty conscience and when God forgave you and you felt the joy of a pure heart, of a clear conscience. No regret, no guilt, no shame. See, we, we equate obedience with some kind of denial of pleasure or happiness. We, we, we denote obedience as some kind of something burdensome. But obedience is the pathway to joy. It's the joy of delighting in someone you love. You know what I'm talking about? You know how you feel when you come close to somebody you love? You know what? I tell, I tell Leanne, I enjoy bumping into her every Sunday. And y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? There's that joy of arrival. Back in the presence of God. And being enabled to become more intimate with him without the weight are you aware of some obstacle in your life to to experiencing the real joy of your salvation ask the spirit to show you and if so are you willing to repent of it right now and and remove that disobedience and say god I believe, help my unbelief. God, help me obey. Create a willingness in me. And lastly, we experience joy by reflecting on truth. Our joy is based on what we believe. And what we think we believe is not always what we believe. John 17, 3. Now I'm coming to you. I told you many things while I was with them in the world... 
so they would be filled with joy. See, their joy was based on his truth because these were people who were about to suffer. So their joy in the midst of suffering was the truth of Christ. I'll never leave you. I'll prepare a place in heaven for you. I'll come back and get you. The words of Jesus and the teaching of Scripture became true to them, and and they're true to us. But let me tell you this. There's a difference between studying the Bible and learning cognitively, which is good, and it serves as good guidance. But it's completely different from when the Spirit of God reveals truth to you. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? 1 Corinthians 2.14. When the Holy Spirit reveals it, it's not like you have it. It now has you. It's undeniable. I know who I am. Nobody can talk me out of that. I know who God is, and nobody can talk me out of that. But it's from an experience. It's not from reading a word in a book. It's supernatural. And when God's truth is revealed to you, what happens? It changes you, doesn't it? That's renewing your mind. That's changing your thinking. And it's transforming your lives. You are not the guy I met years ago. You resemble him, but you're more great. These truths that are, we experience by the Spirit become the beliefs that guide our lives, that control our responses, even our feelings. You know how I've said, you know, you do something awful, you say something terrible, and you say, well, that wasn't like me. No, that wasn't like you. You just usually have better self-control, but under this pressure, you just showed your true self. And there's some beliefs in us that control our lives. There are beliefs about ourselves. God loves me or I'm a loser. There are beliefs about God. He cares about me or he's disappointed in me. There's beliefs about this world. The world is a hostile place and people want to destroy me. Or the world has a lot of people in it, but God overcomes the world. You have beliefs about all these things. Identity, state of being, you have these beliefs. But I'm not saying it's always easy to discern. In fact, we've told ourselves that we believe everything the Bible says. Mm -mm. Look at how you act. Look at your responses. That reveals what you believe. Is that that making sense? You got this, Atham? Are you convinced personally, emotionally? Don't think that your reason overcomes your emotions. No, no. Your emotions are far more fundamental than your intellect. So are you convinced personally, emotionally, spiritually that God knows you fully and loves you completely? Not many are convinced. Or do you really believe he's disappointed in you? He disapproves of you? He's looking for you to screw it up again? If in your heart and soul 
you think, you feel that God has a negative view of you, it will be impossible for you to experience joy. Particularly in difficult situations. Because when something hard happens, you'll either think, okay, well, God is even in this, and he hasn't abandoned me. Or you'll think, God's punishing me, and I know I deserve punishment. Where are you? Our joy is based on believing that we have a home in heaven with a God who loves us, with a Savior who died for us for all eternity. And that enables us to endure suffering. But it can't be some intellectual information. It can't be something that you have in a superficial way. It's got to have you. And as I said earlier, that's how martyrs sang on the way to the flame. Romans 5, 2. Because of our faith, and the word faith is a Greek word, pistis, but you could, it's the same word that sometimes translated trust or belief or reliance. So because of our faith and the constancy that results, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. If I know I'm headed for God, you can't hurt me here. That didn't make any of y'all happy, huh? If I know I'm headed for God, you can't hurt me here. I want y'all to understand this. And we can rejoice not only in future glory in heaven, but also in present trials because we know that our trials have to pass through God. And these trials are deliberate and they're determined to refine, to strengthen, to purify our faith. Do you believe that? How many of y'all really believe that? Then how much, why are you doing so much complaining? Why is there so much whining? Do you believe that whatever trial enters your life comes from God? At least passes through him with his permission. What do you think? You don't believe so. Come up here. (laughs) (laughs) But see, we have to know that. Or else we're going to be all flummoxed when circumstances change, aren't we? Aren't we? That's not how we're called to live. James 1 Two through four. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, he's writing people who were being beaten, imprisoned, even put to death. Not people whose boss said something unkind to them. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Do you want your endurance to grow? Okay, then the test's coming. Do you want the test? You don't have to want the test, but you have to recognize it's coming with a purpose. 
Trials are designed to produce spiritual maturity. And that's where we have a role to consider it as an opportunity for great joy. Which means we determine to see difficulties as gracious gifts from God. Can you say that? This too is a gift from God. Sent to strengthen my faith. Do you rejoice in suffering? Do you know that the struggle is perfecting your faith? It's preparing you for heaven. Can you imagine? If you have that sanctified imagination, if eternity is real, it enables us to have joy right in the midst of suffering. Counselors will be here. Counselors, you come forward now. Some of you may be suffering now, and I say, and you think, that's eluding me. Would somebody talk to me? Would somebody pray with me? I don't understand how to get there. They'll stay here as long as you want to talk, as long as you want to pray. Let me urge you to take some steps. You know, stay involved as we preach. Read behind it. Ask God to reveal it to you by His Spirit. Get involved in a group. Share the truth with some others and share your life. You know, do, follow this soul training. Soul training this week says throughout this week, notice if your response to adverse circumstances is joyful. Your response will tell you what you truly believe. And then look for evidence of true, sincere joy in others. Seek God. Seek His Spirit to reveal truth to you about your life, about your beliefs, about situations, so you can truly experience joy. You may say, I need some help. Call the office. Ask for the care department. See if someone can meet with you to pray with you. Call the Be Encouraged house. There are two fine ladies. They're both related to me that will pray with you and help you to discover lies that you believe that are leading to destructive places and replace them with God's truth that will produce joy in your life. Thank you for coming. Counselors will remain here. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed week.